This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momentum. Welcome to our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momentum, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative as always. We welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to another edition of our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm pleased to feature someone who is literally creating the future, Joseph Bradley, President of Technology and Digital for NEOM, N-E-O-M, the world's first cognitive city. Joseph is a recognized industry leader and technologist. Prior to Neom, he was vice president of Cisco's Internet of Everything practice, where he led a team of technology and business consultants, counseling CXOs and government leaders to realizing IOE value and digital business transformation. He built the foundation for the IOE practice by directing the groundbreaking research and production of Cisco's influential thought leadership, embracing the Internet of Everything to capture your share of $14.4 trillion dollars and internet of everything value index. How much value are private sector firms capturing from IOE in 2013? As an aside, I can reference that Momenta to this day still references those great reports. His dynamic engaging style and his passion for disruptive technologies, inclusion and diversity, and the role people play in driving innovation to create a better world has made him a popular speaker and thought leader whose work has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, Fox News, Forbes, The Street, and The Financial Times. Joseph, it's really an honor to have you on our Digital Leadership Podcast today. Thanks a lot. Looking forward to it. All right, as well. So let's uh, start with your professional journey. I know I captured a lot of it here, but I think I only touched on a, a, a part of it because we have known you for quite a while and admired <laughs> the work that you've done all the way back to Cisco. So tell us a bit about your background and how it has informed your views of digital industry. Yeah, you know, I, I think um, when I think about what's kind of shaped me, you know, I, I definitely, without a doubt, um, think about my grandfather quite a bit. Um, he was a very influential man uh, in my in my growing up. I was actually named after him. And uh, a short story basically is is that uh, he came from from Louis- New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, came to California, high school educated, and and landed in a place called East Palo Alto. East Palo Alto had the highest crime rate of any city in the world at the time. And I was like, Grandpa, why don't why don't we just move? Right? I mean, you're successful. Why don't we move? And he said, Son, if you want to drive change you have to do it up close and personal with people. And he literally created and built his house right in the middle of this crime area. And he worked for 15, 20 years talking with the leaders of gangs and bringing city councilmen together. And now when he passed, now if you go to East Palo Alto, you won't even recognize it. It's one of the wealthier areas in in California and thriving economy. They got great, great um, healthcare there. And And I tell you that story because what I learned from a digital standpoint, kind of in my career, the first thing that I got my grandfather is, is, is that value improves exponentially as you move data and decision-making as close as you can to the customer. And so, you know, throughout my career in, in technology, when I started at uh, AT&T uh, and we had to roll out DSL uh, for the first 
uh, time and everyone was saying, there's no way this can get done. What are you talking about? You know, uh, uh, a, a one megabit service uh, for under $500 a month is impossible. And really working with the uh, union at the time, local union leaders, and and really, you know, taking my office, which was a blasphemy at the time, taking it out of executive row and putting it smack dab in the middle uh, of the floor uh, with my technicians and, and really working hand to hand, we made it happen. And so um, I have a strong kind of affinity in my career uh, for really working as close as I can and pushing decision making down. So had a great uh, career in, in at, um, at AT&T for about 14 years. Uh, so that was really super exciting. Um, the other thing I think uh, I had an also balance of, of I would say traditional Fortune 100 companies, AT&T and Cisco, but also startups. And this is where I really learned that it's not about failing fast. Can I can tell you, you know, I, I hear this all the time in Silicon Valley. Oh, you know, it's all about failing fast. And I'm like, you know what? I didn't wake up in the morning and my startup said, oh, can't wait to lose $10 million a day. Let's do it really quickly. You know, that's not what you do, right? It's not yeah. fast, right? It's a horrible notion that, that, that people use. It's all about accelerating your rate of learning. That's what you want to do. Um, you, you, you never want to make the same mistakes twice. You want to improve that, that rate of learning. And you really learn that. I learned that at C3 Communications. I was CEO over there. And I learned it as a president of uptake and predictive analytics. And those that, 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 that thirst to ensure that you're not making those same mistakes, that you're constantly improving your rate of learning at a faster and faster pace. That's, what, that's what's required to be successful, especially in a world that is changing uh, so much. And then lastly, um, I would say uh, a career experience that definitely, um, you know, kind of shaped my views was um, the stint at HCL and even and, and definitely now at, at at Neom, which is is that when you look at the factors that determine success in in driving digital projects, you know, there, a lot of people will mention, you know, the quality of the technology, the quality infrastructure, the quality of the tools, measurement practices, all that stuff. But what we found, we did a study at, at Cisco, and it, and it really it, it true in Neom, and it's true was true at ACL, is actually the number one factor is a level of inclusiveness, uh, and what that means is is that do your teams feel comfortable? in openly sharing and discussing information. And that's because the level of uncertainty is so high when you're driving these solutions. If you don't have that strong level of inclusion, it's not just the right thing to do, it's the profitable thing to do, is, is the net net of it. And so we spent a lot of time in, in, in my career uh, around ensuring that I just don't have a diverse environment, meaning that I have people that are of different backgrounds but that I have an inclusive environment, meaning that they are sharing and exchanging of information to create value. So that's that's what I would say, I guess, uh, if I were to highlight my career and kind of how it kind of shaped my views, I think, in the digital industry. You know, uh, it, it, it's great. And I'm gonna take you back for a moment, all the way back to your your first stint at, at Cisco and around IOE. Um, sure. We, we 
really have looked at this quite closely over our time. Um, and we, as I mentioned, even at, you know early investments we made in companies like Thingworks reference those reports, the value at stake reports that you know, yep. we still call them. And yes. uh, and so you know, I guess as you think about the history, the short history of IoT, there's been natural gatherings, subsequent diaspora of those thought leading teams. And I I would trace one of those strong hubs all the way back to Cisco around IOE, and uh, and developing those groundbreaking you know presence and predictions. Tell us a, a little bit about those beginnings uh, around the IOE, particularly, and 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 how you took those forward at HCL and uptake, as you mentioned. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I, I when you were talking, it reminds John Chambers tells a story where you know we first came up with the concept and everything is you know he had to buy people you know expensive bottles of wine just just to have a just to listen to him just to have a conversation to get airtime. Um, well, we were saying that we envisioned a world where the number of connected devices will will be more than the population on the planet. It actually happened in, in, in 2017 that we crossed that milestone. In the beginning days of, of IO, uh, IOE, I can tell you um, it, I used a, an execution model that I've used very successfully. I call it the execution one, two, three model, but basically it's really simple. It says that number one, whatever you say, you gotta be able to put it on a single page. If you can't communicate it on a single page, when you leave the room, no one else can do it. And that means you'll never build momentum in a large organization. So you gotta be able to communicate on a single page. Two was really important is we take two weeks to align stakeholders. So we got everybody who, 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 who had value, who could benefit from what we were talking about in a room to make sure that they agreed, not about how we were executing, but that we were asking fundamentally the right question. Um, and that was really important. And then finally, Man, success. Uh, we needed to gain a quick success. It doesn't mean the project was done, but from every very early on and with producing the value stick report, as soon as we got the first solution in the use case and the first customer to, to expose data, we celebrated it, right? You gotta do that within, try to get that done as a success factor within three weeks. Doesn't mean to be you're, you're, you're automatically done, but but you gotta have something to drive momentum. In those early stages, that, that single slide was about people, process, data, and things. And and the real thing there was, everybody was talking about IoT as a, as a physical, as just devices, but they didn't understand that you didn't get value from this data unless you intersected it with people, process, and data, and things. And so um, that was really, I think, a, a, a huge transformation in, in really trying to understand what are those people and process implications required to extract value. And so a really good example of this, and we lose it at ACL and at Leverage and Uptake, was we had this uh, assignment where we had to go into a store and the idea was, can you tell how can you shorten the amount of times that someone is waiting in the line? And so we said, sure. So we said, you know, what's a thing? What's a dark asset that's not connected today? Well, parking lot. So let's connect those. And what data are we going to get? Okay, well, you're going to get, you know, whether a car is coming into the parking lot. If you're if you're tracking people in the in the uh, store, you're going to get, you know, geospatial information. So you got your things, you got data. And then on your process side, we said, hey, we can apply analytics. We said we can figure out 40 minutes in advance when a line is going to be long. Great, awesome. So we think we're done. Remember, I haven't mentioned the word people yet. So you go into the store, and the, and the store manager gets all excited because hey, we got a solution. We're going to stop people from abandoning their carts because they wait in line. They leave their carts. So we put the solution in, and the store manager gets all excited. And you've heard you've been in the store, so he, you know, we we put it in, and he grabs the speakerphone. And he says, "Hey, Mark, in the back of the store." 
Our lines are going to be getting long. We need to open up check stand number 12. Check stand number 12, please. And what happened was, is everybody in the store, all that great tech became useless because he announced to everyone in the store that the lines were getting long. And the problem was, is when people perceive that lines are getting long, they abandon their carts. So here we had a a people issue. He grabbed the mic and told everybody the lines are getting long. Everybody heard that. And even though they were going to come up to open the script, the people started saying, oh, we're out of here. I'm not going to wait for Mark, man. And, and the same problem happened. All that great tech. And we were laughing. And I said, you know, this is a classic example of how you got to go that last mile. You got to include people. So obviously the solution at the time was, hey, you know what? Let's not announce it over the speakerphones. Let's just go ahead and do that people impact. Let's make sure we page that person in the back of the room to come up and be able to uh, open up check stand number five. But the point is you got to think about the intersection between people, process of data and things to create value from IoT. And so it was easy to carry, once we had that work, we carried that forth in all of our partnerships and all of our engagements um, and all the solutions. They always had, that was a model that we use. What's a dark asset? What's the thing that you can connect? How do you extract data from it? How do you apply analytics to impact process? And then finally, how do you tie it to people? How do you make it so that their normal workflow is not is 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 not disrupted or disrupted as minimal as possible? So that same model was applied at HCL and that same model was applied at Uptake and, and just we've had a lot of success with it. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. I, I, I'm, I'm rapidly taking notes, and I have to imagine as this goes to uh, to a production that people driving cars will be wanting to take notes of all of these great <laughs> learnings. So, warning, yeah, toward anybody listening to this, please keep your hands on the wheel. So, look, all of this has converged upon you joining Neom, uh, as you call it, the world's first cognitive city. So, what and where is Neom? Yeah, so, you know, Neom is in... So it's located in the northwest part of, of Saudi Arabia, right? And, and if you think about it, it's it's its location is kind of ideally located in terms of it's at the crossroads, uh, crossroads we like to say of the world. What we mean by that is 40% of the world's population is within a four-hour flight of Neom, right? And to give you a size, it's a size, it's like 35 times the size of Singapore. So that gives you the the, the sense of this of this of this area. And when you ultimately think about kind of what Neom is, we like to describe it as, as being the world's first cognitive set of cities. And what does that mean? That means it's a, it's a place where we use the power of prediction. We're not reactive, we're proactive. We're being able to change your, 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 your living, your experience by being able to give you a week, an hour, a month, a day, and a year in advance of what's going to occur. And so it's dramatically transformational from a standpoint of, uh, of of people, it's transformational in terms of living, it's transformational from a standpoint of enterprises, in terms of driving a, a an innovative, a living hub, a kind of a digital living hub environment. And it is extremely transformational when you talk about what does it mean for the environment? It means redefining, when we say cons- uh, conservation and when we say being environmentally responsible, most people use those terms in saying, we want to limit or have a neutral impact to the environment. When you think about NEOM, our goal, our view, everything is built to not leave a, a neutral impact, 
but to leave the environment in a much better condition than it was before we as humans came to it, which is um, an amazing um, challenge. Uh, but it's a it's a it's a huge attractor of talent, um, and it's ingrained in our cultures, ingrained in our mindset. I mean, we 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 don't do anything that is environmentally neutral. It's got to be environmentally positive. Um, it's got to uh, you know add to the environment, whether that's replenishing uh, the uh, aqueducts and aquifers in uh, underneath that that run underneath the desert, many areas of Saudi. How do you how do you how do you replenish that? Whether it's 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 revitalizing and ensuring that we continue to enhance the beautiful coral reefs that are that are in Neom, or whether it's um, being the place the first place on Earth that will be powered by 100% renewable energy. Um, Neom has uh, incredible access to, to solar, obviously, and wind 24 hours a day. It's a very unique and very, very beautiful environment. And then when our investment in, in, in green hydrogen, the production of green hydrogen is a power source. So it is just truly, um, you know, if you had to say kind of one word, it, it's a place where I would say uh, it's the accelerator of kind of human progress. It's the Willy Wonka come true, right? It's Wonka land come true, right? You, you one could say it's it's truly greenfield, both in the uh, eco sense and the fact that you are developing something brand new, which is uh, pretty interesting. So, you're you're president for the technology and digital sector of of this very large project. What is your remit in this function? What are some of the key projects you're working on? Yeah, I mean the the, the remit is 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 really simple to say, hard to do, right? Um, the remit is simply to build the world's first cognitive city, to build the technical foundation and technology foundation and roll out solutions for that. And so when I think about this in, in the sense of, you know, what does it mean uh, in terms of the key projects? Th there's really five core ones and we'll, and we'll touch, on a, we'll touch on, a, on a couple of these. But number one, uh, it's all fundamentally about building the cognitive foundation. And so what I mean by that is, is that in Neon, we have to have the ability to connect things. We call it digital air. That means we don't want to have any spaces of digital divide. So we're going to have 5G, uh, 5G uh, services uh, throughout and the use of, of LEOs, low earth orbiting satellites to provide uh, broadband connectivity throughout the whole region. Number two, you got to have the ability to compute that means you got to have the ability to calculate hyperscale data centers, right? Uh, being situating Neom as a as a center for hyperscale data centers around the world, and thirdly and most importantly, you have to have the ability to contextualize. And what I mean by that is that means the ability to actually comprehend and understand artificial intelligence, AI data. And so, one of the biggest projects that we have is Neos, which is our uh, state of the art. I like to call it our synthetic intelligence based operating system, right? And so that's really um, kind of the, I'd say that the core foundational uh, projects that, 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 that has to happen uh, in order for us to be uh, really, really, uh, I think critically uh, able to execute on our vision. And then there's some set of other projects have to do with rolling out. We have 16 plus sectors. So healthcare, financial services, media, real estate, those are the type, sports and entertainment. Those sectors have 650 plus solutions that we have to roll out across uh, uh, Neom. And in order to do that, talent, access to talent is huge. And so there's a whole host 
of initiatives around how do you apply gamification to attract talent? You know, it's 8 billion people on the planet, 2 billion of them are gamers growing at 20% a year. So we have a lot of initiatives around how can we test for tech talent and make it fun in terms of gamification. And then finally, um, when most people think of Neom, when you think of a digital city, you think of the physical version of, of Neom. You think about the buildings and the incredible uh, terrain and the, and, and the beautiful uh, coral reefs and, and, and everything that we're building. While that is absolutely true, absolutely true, there is an, a side of Neom that's equally as important. That's the digital version of Neom. So what we call Neomverse. And, and in order to create Neomverse, what that means is, is we have technology that allows us to uh, create a portal between the digital and the physical world, meaning the ability to stream in real time the physical world into the digital and vice versa. So imagine you walk into uh, a gym in the US, this is early morning time in the US, which is the evening time in Neom and where most folks go out because it's cooler in the desert. And so you're in, they're going on a trip in the Neom mountain. And so you walk into the gym in the US and you go into your augmented reality room and you're there. And as, and as, and as you walk and as you see the temperature is changing, the treadmill is where the ground is adjusting based on the terrain, you see something, you can put a circle on it. As you circle that area, your guide sees the same circle and they point out to where that is. It's the physical merging of those two worlds. What does that mean? That means anything you create or you think of in the physical world, you can create in the digital world, meaning it's a whole new market for application developers and programmers to come and participate uh, in, in the, one of the largest growth regions in the world, being the Middle East and, and uh, Neom and Saudi. So super excited, lots of projects, uh, lots of interests, and just uh, never a dull moment at Neom. Oh, I just can imagine what a great position to uh, to be in. So you are in a unique position in that you really don't have any legacy. Um, you know, how how do you architect the future differently for this versus you know the evolutionary or brownfield future that you've traditionally and we traditionally have to work with? Yeah, you know, I, I think the first thing you, you you have to be able to understand that the, the more there's two core. I think principles you have to have, and then we'll talk about specifically, but one, you have to hire for curiosity. Really important. Number one, number one, you, you have to have people who are very, very curious, people who ask the right questions. You know, we live in a world where all the answers are known, and so therefore the ability to ask the right question is what is really immensely important. Um, you know, and, 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 and as you're going through this, this, this process, the second thing that you have to have is you got to have a lot of humble pie. You have to be extremely humble because you have to recognize that it's not about what you don't know. It's about fundamentally waking up each and every day and challenging what you believe to be true. Because you can't control what you don't know, but you can't control what it is, the beliefs that you hold to be true. And so that's from a cultural standpoint, those are the two things that really underpin I think our ability to, to move forward and, and, and kind of guides our thinking. And then from an architectural standpoint, one is we're trying to put as much as we can in the software. Um, really, really important um, to, to have a, I think a, a, a software driven uh, environment uh, that allows for flexibility, um, the use of microservices uh, in our architecture, the ability for these software components, these Lego blocks 
to stand on their own so that you can stand on your own, you can replace a Lego block um, as, as, as technology or things change. Uh, really, really uh, critically, uh, critically important in terms of design of the of the uh, of the infrastructure. And the third thing I think is to understand that you can't you don't go this alone. Um, you you really have to. Uh, I would say in today's world, what's different in 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 uh, when I was building a, a greenfield environment, we use the word, uh, in the, when you're doing the financials, it was about customer lifetime value, right? There's a lot of, you know, you got all these use cases and what's the impact on customer lifetime value. And while that is still an important calculation, what's even more important or equally important is ecosystem lifetime value, which means is how do I construct a service or a solution to an enterprise, to an individual, to a, uh, a a citizen. How do I construct that service with a set of partners in a way that allows each partner to sustain itself with value? That we can see that the ecosystem itself, when you look at the value for each of the individual elements, it can sustain itself. Why is that important? Because you need to diversify risk. You have to diversify risk in order to do that, especially when you're building building for for the future that you don't know, it requires partners, and they have to be there. They have to be in the in the in the trenches with you. And so we spend a lot of time on making sure the value proposition for the ecosystem is high and sustainable and maximized as much as we do uh, for the value proposition for the individual. Really, really important. So that's what I. That's that's kind of how we how we kind of manage that that uh, this this uniqueness of uh, greenfield uh, versus brownfield. Excellent. The uh, there was a book I want to say it was about 2010 uh, by a gentleman named Dr. Gregory Burns who was uh, Emory University's a famed neuroscientist and he wrote a book called The Iconoclast. And it was, um, I believe it's subtitled, A, Neuro, a Neuroscientist Reveals How to Think Differently. And the point of the, the book was that it's not genetic as much as it is uh, environment. And one of the key yes. aspects that he talked about was living in constant discomfort. And, and, he, yes. and he specifically mentioned about moving to a country where you might not understand the language or the customs to be able to think differently. Think about it this way. If you're in, in the Bay Area, you mentioned Palo Alto, and you're driving back and forth the one-on-one every day you likely don't recall those drives after a certain period of time, right? They're just That's the same, right? right? That's um, right. Where, where if you're doing the same in Saudi, or, or I have to imagine you're watching everything because you're just not used to the customs or, you know, everything is new. So, you know, I think you've been uh, there with your family for almost six months now. What what has been your experience and your family's experience in Saudi? You know, I, I have to say um, it's been wonderful. I mean... Um, you know, uniquely for us, all I can say is, you know, I can't describe, you know, the experience for everyone, uh, but I can tell you as an African-American uh, coming from the U.S. working my career um, in, in technology, uh, it's the first time in my career where I walked into a, a room and really has have been afforded the 100% of my focus and ability on solving the problem as opposed to trying to fit in. And, and, and you might, and, and I find that really, you might find that, that, that strange. Well, what do you, you know, how is that, how is that possible? 
is because when I, when I come to Saudi, when we came to Saudi, um, they see us not as a black man or as a black woman, a family. They, 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 they see us as an American who they view as being someone that can help them, who they view as being here to help them create this, this new you know, accelerator of human progress. And so, you know, whether whether it's been the amazing outreach, we came here, uh, the the community, you know, taking us and showing us uh, whether it's restaurants, volunteering restaurants, or just just being open, or whether it's us dressing in our regular, you know, Western clothes and and walking into a very nice, uh, you know, incredible shopping mall and and you know, going into the high end stores, or whatever, and not having a security guard or someone follow us around. If you are African American and you're in the U.S., you know exactly what I'm what I'm what I'm talking about. I, I can't. All I can tell you is is that our experience here in Saudi um, has been really uh, open and inclusive for us, uh, and and it's been eye awakening because I love the U.S. and and I and I love my country obviously, um, and I think that we can get uh, blinders on that we just get a little cocky, quite frankly, that we think you know we're just. You know, we were the best in everything. And what I've been really amazed at is, at least with the NEOM, is when we say that NEOM is going to work on open and inclusiveness, I, for the first time in my career, again, I've worked a lot of tech companies, my first time in my career, I have paid for performance targets based on the level of inclusion based on the number of women that we hire, based on the, those that are under the age of 35, based on the diverse metrics, I am paid on those metrics. Not, I'm not talking about someone you know, having a nice presentation and saying, yeah, here's what we're gonna do, and we all get to recognize the problem, then we bring on a celebrity, and they talk about what we need to do to hire the advancement of women or hire the advancement of African-Americans. Not that that's not important, but we've all participated in that, but never once coming out of that did it result in a fundamental change in terms of how it was measured? Over here, what's very interesting is, is the great diversity that I get to experience each and every day at Neon is not because they wrote it down in a vision, and I find this at Saudi, it's because they actually measure it. It's actually implemented because they fundamentally believe that in order for Neon to be successful, we have to be a model of openness and inclusion for the world. And so that to me, again, is was really eye-awakening to, to hear and see the passion for those that are in NEOM uh, and, and working in NEOM to, to make this vision uh, a reality. And I, I'm very much aware of all the stereotypes uh, that, you know, we are told about Saudi in on the Western side of the world, because I mean, I, I lived in the US forever. And when I came to Saudi though, and in my experience, just in NEOM, I'm not saying this is throughout Saudi, but from my experience and what I've experienced, um, it, it's been nothing short of just a huge relief. Um, and me and my wife talk about it all the time. I mean, it's so easy to it's easy to do things. It's easy to communicate. Um, you know, one thing you're told if 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 you're a minority uh, in the U.S., you are always told that you have to be twice as good. Right. I mean, that, just, there's various evolution of that, depending on your background and culture. And 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 when I try to explain to folks um, who are not minorities, what does that really mean? Is that really true? Well, what it means is if you go into a meeting, everyone else 
it, take example if you're a woman and you come to a meeting in technology with all men, the first thing that there's a problem, every man in that room jumps on, how do I solve the problem? So 100% their brain capacity is focused on that. If you're a woman, you start thinking about, well, wait a minute, how do I fit in? So instead of 100% of your brain capacity focused on the problem when everybody else is, you spend 20, 30% of your brain, how do I fit in, how does room? So when they say, hey, let's grab a bunch of beers and let's go golfing and let's go do some cars, let's go race some cars afterwards, how do I fit into that environment? And if you're an African-American, same thing, right? With, with, in, in a room of Caucasian men, same thing. You, you can just go down the line. The point is, is that you're expending a, a, a significant portion of your capacity trying to understand, trying to fit in, as opposed to everyone else trying to work on the problem. What's been a huge relief, and, and I wish every, I hope every you know person can experience this once in their life, is from a professional standpoint, is walking into a meeting room and being able to apply literally 100% of my abilities on solving the problem. Because the room is so diverse, I don't have to worry about fitting in. Because it's just not an issue. It's just, it's a wonderful thing. So for me personally, um, my wife and I talk about, we've had just a great experience at Saudi. They've treated us so well. Um, we've, we've, we wore, we, sometimes I wear a Saudi thobe, which has been great. It's a great, it's, I think that's one of the greatest adventures in the world. I don't know why they kept the secret. It's amazingly comfortable. <laughs> uh, it's amazingly comfortable for men. Uh, I mean, it's airy when it's hot. I just love it. I think the thobe was one of the best adventures of the world. Um, but at the same time, I can also wear, I'm also wear, you know, my, my clothes, my U S traditional clothes. And, you know, we haven't, we haven't been, um, we haven't experienced, um, any, any uh, sort of discrimination or you know different looks or anything, and I ask myself in my country, would that same be true? You know, if they were their traditional Saudi garbs and and walked in some states and places in the U.S., would that be true? And so, I, I really learned a lot uh, from here. And I'm not saying Saudi's perfect. I'm not saying it's in all. I'm just saying from my experience, I think um, you know I will definitely take back a lot of the cultural learnings, the positive that I've seen, and, and hopefully drive change. Uh, back in the U.S. in in certain areas, but um, it's been great. Yeah, it's been a great experience. Yeah. And I and I can vouch for uh, the, your your exposure to the top echelons there because I think we've tried to schedule this uh, uh, over several months, several times, where uh, your uh, your EA has come back and said he's got a meeting with the crown prince, <laughs> so he's not going to be able to meet with you, Ken. And I said it's okay. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a highlight of. Uh, that was definitely a highlight, I think, of the uh, of the trip here. You know, I mean, it's I, I just you know I, I just tell everyone, you know, it's just it, it's so amazing um, when you get a chance to meet, you know, people behind the scenes, and you get a chance to actually, you know, um, you know, engage and and learn from someone, you know, without the media, without all this craziness, just you know, hold judgment on people you meet until you meet them. You know, I mean, it's amazing, you know, and that's to me, that's one of the things that I've, that I've really learned is, is, you know, I've met some incredible um, young Saudi talent and, you know, some incredible bright minds in um, both men and women. And, you know, if if I read some of the um, U.S. things that were going on, it's just amazing to me that we're still having those types of, um, you know, that, that, that we're still writing, you know, things that are just completely um, erroneous uh, about, you know, certain 
uh, you know, characteristics uh, of, of how people operate or certain views, and and they're never and they've never even been to the area or they never spoken to these people, and so I really learned quite a bit to be humble, to keep an open mind, and and to really you know uh, listen uh, to to what people have to say and listening active listening listening from a standpoint of learning, not for judgment. Uh, so it's been just a great, a great, and a great opportunity. And I said, you know, hey, I think the U.S. is is still my country. I love it, uh, and I love it so much. And but I've just been so thankful to for the Saudis to you know allow me and my wife and, and family to you know to really uh, have a great experience and, and help them you know in, in their country and help the world kind of see that there's there is a place where everyone can live in uh, unison. You've done such a great job marketing Neom at this point. How can people get involved in in this project and uh, and especially I would say digital industry startups since we like to invest in them? Yeah, you know, so I think so. Number one is is uh, Neom has sixteen sectors, and so um, be clear on where you want to engage. I think that's number one. Uh, be, be be super clear on on where you want to uh, ultimately uh, engage. Um, we have 16 sectors. You can reach out to those sectors directly on LinkedIn. So if you're in tech and digital, me myself, uh, if you know if you want financial services, or you're talking about uh, retail, or you're talking about real estate, so go directly to I think those particular sectors is kind of the best. Um, you can find out a bunch of information on our website. Uh, that we have in terms of what's what's happening, but that's probably the the the, the best way that that uh, uh, I would I would I would tell you is is to be clear on what part uh, of what what sector you, you'd want to engage with. That's probably the fastest, and then go directly and engage with that sector. Excellent. So, in closing, can you provide any recommendations of books and or resources that inspire you beyond your grandfather, who clearly had a uh, a great impact on you? Yeah, you know, um, I think there's there's a book. Uh, that I definitely, especially, uh, I often refer to uh, at Neom while I'm in Neom. It's called Black Swan, and it's by Nassim Taleb. And and what it is is it it, it describes your ability ultimately to recognize that the world isn't linear. That it's not about drawing a straight line from point A to point B. It's about understanding when are those predictable moments are going to happen. What are those things that, you know, nothing is this nice gradual. What is in the idea of a black swan is, is they didn't know there were black swans. So they showed up and go, oh, what is that? Oh my God, it, 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 it's, it's a black swan. And so the, the idea is, is can you predict what are those hyper growth? When are those be bold? And can you say, hey, how do you think about things differently that are gonna be unpredictable? Because the world is that way. And so it's, it's a way of, of changing your, your, your thinking. And I think that's been uh, tremendously helpful. I love any and all books and writings around Warren Buffett. Uh, I, I am just a, a, a huge Warren Buffett, um, huge Warren Buffett fan uh, in terms of what, what he's been able to accomplish. And the reason I, I, I highlight, uh, especially um, any books that are written around uh, his, uh, his readouts to his, at, his, uh, at his quarterly um, uh, shareholder meetings. Uh, there's books that, that, that chronicle uh, and notes about his wisdom that he gives out. Those meetings last for an hour or two hours. And the reason I say that is from a technology perspective, the number one thing I think that we have to recognize as technologists is, is that you know our goal is to create value, not to roll out cool tech. And that is where I, I, I think that a lot of technologists really need to work on understanding how does a P 
P&L owner, how does a business think about creating value? And how do I express my technology, not in my language, but in their language? And I think Warren Buffett has so many great learnings around how to view a company, how to view a business model, how to evaluate growth and, and, and value that is a technologist. You know, those are your customers, so you need to understand them. You need to understand how they think, you need to understand how they talk, because that will make you and your organization much more impactful as you try to drive change in your respective environments. Great suggestions, uh, especially, uh, I must say, the Black Swan has uh, obviously enjoyed a resurgence there when you think about, I think the subtitle is the impact of the highly improbable and certainly the last nine months of COVID would uh, would fit that <laughs> in terms of uh, planning for the unknown future there. So uh, Nassim Taleb did a good job on that. And I love Warren Buffett as well. So Joseph, thank you for this inspirational interview. Thank you, it's been great, man. I, I love talking to you guys. and. Anytime, man. Look forward to look forward. Hopefully, next one. Yeah, excellent. Well, yes, we'll have to do some check-ins along the way to uh, to see how this project is going. And I want to know at what point I could start reserving some real estate, uh, uh, an That's apartment right. per se, in this uh, city of the future, Utopia. So, so That's th- right. this is. This has been Joseph Bradley. I'd say architecting the future really as president, technology and digital for Neom, the world's first cognitive city. Thank you for listening and please join us next week for the next edition of our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast Series. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Industry Leadership Podcast produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of podcasts and webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.